Before the episode begins, I'd like to talk to you about Health.Tech, a unique conference happening at the International Congress Center in Munich on June 5 and 6, blending top-tier content and exclusive opportunities to meet leaders and founders from the Health.Tech ecosystem. The event is co-founded by EIT Health, Roche, and Bitten Brettles, the team that created one of the largest founders' festival of the same name, which Michelle Obama, Richard Branson, and Jessica Alba, just to name a few, attended. Their idea for health.tech was simple. Take the ingredients that made Bits and Brazil so successful and apply them to the health sector. The result is a unique conference where more than 3,500 participants representing payers, providers, patients, startups, investors, and corporates connect, share insights, and join forces to catalyze growth opportunities in health tech. Two days to think and act together on the future of health. I joined the event the last two years, and for 2024, I'm honored to be among the selection of thought leaders who act as ambassadors on behalf of health.tech. To secure your ticket, head over now to health.tech tickets and get 20% off with the code MATTHEWC20. That is M-A-T-H-I-E-U-C, in capital letters, underscore 20. I look forward to seeing you there. Now back to the episode. mom and dad when i grow old i want to be a roboticist <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what i did uh, twice is uh, an exoskeleton that lets people stand up and walk again but from a user standpoint i think what's really key in our technology is the human machine interaction for silke her body is everything i mean she's a circus acrobat she's an athlete and movement has always been um, all her life and um, having the feeling that her legs are again part of, the, of her body that must be really important to her. Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. All right, so welcome, Tristan. Um, how are things going in Lausanne? Well, the weather is uh, quite bad this morning. Um, we've had a really, really bad day, but uh, after two amazing sunny weeks, I think we're ready to get started with the uh, with the summer um, coming coming soon. <laughs> oh, it's actually quite nice here in Zurich, so I hope it'll all become soon the same in Lausanne. I'm very, very happy to to that you accepted the invitation. It's actually the, the second time that I have someone on the show having graduated from EPFL after um, Ted Baldwin from Imagines, uh, which is also the school where I had the chance to study um, and that I cherish very, very much. Um, you are leading TWICE, which is a team within the Reassist research group from EPFL, which is led by Dr. Mohamed Bouri and which focuses on rehabilitation and motor learning uh, with the aim to develop solutions that bring back locomotion capabilities and sensations to patients suffering from certain forms of handicap, including paraplegics. Um, there's a number of topics I would like to touch on with you around the exoskeletons that you and your team are developing, which I find quite uh, fascinating from the technical perspective and from the game-changing ability that they provide as they enable patients to literally walk again and do other things from their daily life uh, that would be simply unachievable without them. Um, so I do have a lot of questions around how these work, 
what they actually enable patients to do, how to restore um, such abilities and combine potentially haptics to provide sensory feedback, uh, and many, many other things I'd like to explore. Um, but before we dive into all of these topics and the project that you're carrying, would you like to to present yourself? Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having me. Uh, in fact, I did I did study at EPFL and, and back in the days. Um, also was able to escape for a couple times, uh, one time in, in Germany for one year, for one year and uh, also in the U.S. for uh, for another year at Duke University. And uh, that's where I got started with exoskeletons. But before talking about this, uh, I think my my passion for robotics dates back from uh, when I was six years old. My my parents took me to a to school, an engineering school in the in the Canton of Neuchâtel, and uh, I was I was just a kid, and they uh, they brought me to this workshop, you know, at the day of the open doors, and I got the chance to uh, create a small PCB, uh, a very small printed circuit board with uh, you know electronics on it. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's my first encounter with robotics and i went out of the school uh saying telling my parents about oh, mom and dad when i grow old i want to be a roboticist <laughs> and, uh, and that's exactly what i did um 25 years later i was graduated from uh, from epfl with a, a phd in, in human compatible robotics or wearable robotics and uh yeah i think that's that's something that i've always uh, wanted to uh, to pursue in my in, in my life so you really like completed or um, let's say kind of realized your your dream of um, working in this type of environment. Um, so I, I I saw when I was doing my homework, you started the project twice uh, during your thesis, your PhD thesis, right? How this uh, how it, did it develop? So I, I was sent to the U.S. by one of my by the person who later became my PhD advisor. Uh, Dr. Mohamed Bori and uh, Professor Hannes Bloiler, and they offered me to do um, a master thesis in in the U.S. And so I went to Duke University in the lab of Miguel Nicolelis, and working in the footsteps of people who, uh, uh, you know, later uh, became the co-founders of Neuralink with Elon Musk in California. So, uh, oh wow, Max Hodak, um, uh, Tim Hanson, uh, Joey Rodority. These people were working on on brain machine interfaces and ways to. Uh, read the mind um, through electrodes and implanted in the brains of, uh, of monkeys. And my job was to create the world's first brain-controlled exoskeleton back in, at, at this time. And so using, leveraging their work, their previous work, uh, we were able with uh, Katie Zhuang, um, who was my advisor, um, to create the world's first brain-controlled exoskeleton. And so uh, and the monkey could actually control the movements of the exoskeleton just with their thoughts in, okay. in real life in, in live and uh and i was like oh that's that's really fantastic that's that's really you know amazing but there's so much work that still needs to be to be done before it can be applied to uh to actual patients and so i came back to switzerland uh, the others went to uh, to california and co-founded uh, elon uh, Neuralink with elon musk and and instead i i said i want to i want to do some research that can be more readily applied to the patient's lives. And I was offered to start a PhD by uh, Dr. Mohamed Bori, um, working on this, working on a human version of the exoskeleton. And, and that's where I got started with TWICE. And my dream was to not do research for the sake of knowledge, but instead research for the sake of impact on patients. And I was hearing a lot about startups and you know the uh, the approach, the lean startup approach, and so on, and having always the customer in the in the center. And I thought that's a great um, 
a key learning that we can use also in research and make sure that we keep the, the end user in the center of all of our concerns. And also I didn't want to do a PhD by myself. So I gathered a team of uh, other people. I, I had the chance to be surrounded with uh, really incredible people like Romain Beau, Jamina Fazola, uh, Julien Pache, Paul Bertuzzi, people who you know were my colleagues, but also really, really good friends. And we could share the same values, the same passion for robotics and the same will to impact people uh, in their life. And that's how we got started with, with TWICE, the idea of creating uh, um, a product in research with the mindset of a startup. Okay. And just to clarify, so then TWICE is a company or it's part of the research group? So um, it's only a year ago that we uh, finally created the company, incorporated TWICE. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but before that, it was always the idea of creating a product that could have an impact on people's life but very early on in the research process. So make sure we could steer the research in a way that would end up having an impact on people. And so when you came back from, from the US after a master's thesis, you already had uh, like a prototype or you kind of like started from, from scratch to build the, the, the platforms that you guys have now? So we started everything from scratch just from the testimonies and, and the input of patients. Uh, from okay. the ground up, we decided to have the, the users at the center of the innovation uh, process, making sure that their concerns and that their needs would be addressed uh, and they would be steering the entire development of the technology. Wow. And so now you're a team of how many How many people? You mentioned some of them. Uh, so now in the company, we're eight people, um, eight at, people. at this time. Um, but we were a very small team, you know, only four people that worked for let's say a year and a half before we had the first uh, working prototype that could take part to the Cybathlon, so the first version of the yeah. cybernetic uh, Olympic Games kind of um, <laughs> in 2016, after only a year and a half for, uh, of, of research from, from the ground up. No, that's crazy. But we'll, we'll touch some, some, some words on, on, on this competition. I think it's quite fascin fascinating what, what, what's happening there. Um, yeah, but so maybe we can jump to the to the exoskeletons that that you have. So um, I saw that there were two types of exoskeletons um, from 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 your website. There is twice one, which is, which enables the patient to stand, walk, and go upstairs. Um, could you describe its design, how how it kind of looks like for our listeners, and share with us also an outline of maybe how it actually works? So uh, TWICE is uh, an exoskeleton that lets people stand up and walk again. It's a device that can be worn by the patient. So people who suffer from a motor complete spinal injury, so um, people who have had an accident or um, something happened in their life and they cannot feel or move their legs anymore. And they can put on the device uh, independently. So that means they can uh, step into it. Uh, it's kind of like robotic legs or um, a bit like a, a pair of pants that you put on that has yep. motors inside and, and sensors. And then this device replaces the function of the leg. So it makes the legs of the patient move uh, in a way that they, they want. Okay. And um, yeah, so you said that the patient is completely able to settle in the, in the system by, by, by herself or himself. There is that's no the correct for... so on the the patient can uh, step into the exoskeleton or as we call it don the exoskeleton independently but at this stage of the technology development we still need to have one person that is supervising or just providing some help and, and guidance just in case something happens so 
for the sake of security, there needs to be someone else assisting, yeah. um, just supervising, not necessarily uh, touching or anything, but uh, just just being there in case. And um, and then how is this control then? Do they have like does it work? Um, I suppose there is some kind of remote um, in in there. So I don't know. Can you explain us how how this is actually controlled by by the patient? So the uh, the patient uses crutches, so canes that they uh, they use to to stay upright, to balance. Uh, this is mandatory still at this stage of the technology. Um, and on these handles, on on the crutches, there are some buttons that uh, the user can can use to operate or steer the devices if you want. And okay. the buttons can trigger actions like uh, a step, for instance. Um, every time the user wants to take a new step, they press one of the buttons, which we call the trigger, just just like a, uh, in, in a remote control or uh, just like on a, on a joystick. Uh, there's a trigger and then that launches every new action, like taking a step or sitting down, st- standing up or going one step up, uh, step up the stairs. Okay, so it's directly, I mean, I think it's not something that's visible uh, on the pictures I saw, um, that you had actually the, the the buttons within these crutches. Like they look like normal crutches from the outside. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And is there any um development that i mean related to the the control of of the system where you would engage maybe um taking as input some uh, eg signals like signals coming directly from from the brain is that something or is that still like very far ahead i think down the road there will be opportunities for this as those implants those brain machine interfaces improve over time there will be uh, ways to interface them with exoskeletons for instance and so that they can so they can become neuroprosthetics. Um, I think at this stage, you know, the pragmatism and the simplicity of hand controls with buttons, for instance, yeah. is so much easier to um, to learn how to use. A lot less invasive as well. You have to imagine that if you want to have a, a brain controlled exoskeleton, you need to have implants into into the brain. And I think this is something that that will come eventually for some patients that really need it. Yeah. Uh, but as long as you can 
you know, have something pneumatic, yeah, like uh, like buttons, people will much prefer this rather than getting surgery to have something implanted into, into the brain. Yeah, that's that's understandable. Um, one aspect I would like to approach with you is the, and you just mentioned some words on that, um, is the haptic feedback that can be leveraged to to bring on top of uh, the abilities that these exoskeletors in, enable, like walking, standing, and going upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, that bring back the sensations related to to these abilities. Is it something that your your exoskeletons enable? And can you explain us in simple terms how how this can actually work? It's actually funny that you uh, you talk about this because um, uh, it's actually uh, one of the some of the work that uh, uh, some of my friends pioneered back in the time. Um, we're talking about Suleiman Shakur, who, um, who was working also at Duke University on uh, providing sensory feedback to uh, uh to the users of a brain machine interface and they showed that it's possible to give back the sensations uh, of walking when you're using vr and haptic feedback uh, while you're wearing an exoskeleton and that this sensation being brought back to the people can enhance the performance of the interaction between the human and the machine and it's something we've tried and we're really looking forward into improving this uh, uh, this type of interaction and i believe it can it can really help creating a more symbiotic uh, interaction between the human and 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 the device but it's not necessary at this stage to have it to, to have it included in the in the device so we're not going to to have it in the first version of our product but of course from a research standpoint it's it's quite interesting to um to see how haptic feedback so bringing back the sensations of walking to the patients can um, enhance their um, their feeling of ownership and embodiment yeah mm-hmm. exactly. and how this can improve the performance of the of the interaction okay um, so so twice is one of the um, I mean on the websites there are two types of exoskeletons that are displayed there is um, the, the, the one we just talked about and there's another one um, which is very surprising uh, as it's designed for ski touring um, and obviously well-suited for, for the Swiss Alps. Um, how did such an application come up and what aspects does it share with the with the other platform? So the design philosophy behind TWICE was to have a common set of modules that we can share across multiple applications and to multiply the use cases using the same core of components. In this way, we can share the costs of development of these core components across multiple applications and reduce the cost of development or the cost associated with each exoskeleton. That's kind of the design philosophy, which is, which is quite, uh, um, quite common in the industry to have modularity for, uh, for reducing the cost of, of manufacturing, for instance. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to showcase how far this can go and um, how wide the range of capabilities of the exoskeleton could be and always starting from users' requests. And it's actually coming from one of our patients' requests. So Martin, one of our pilots, yeah. came to us saying spontaneously that he was not so interested in, in walking because this, this was uh, you know a bit too normal. I mean, kind of boring, <laughs> he said. Yeah, walking is not so, not so much fun. Uh, but if you could bring me to the to the peaks of the Swiss Alps again, that would be really fantastic. That would really uh, fulfill one of one of my dreams. And so that's how it came about. Um, 
we we set to work for one month and designed and manufactured a new version of the exoskeleton which is just you know a, f a few modules that you can swap from the original exoskeleton and that then enable uh, the person not just to walk but to uh, put on standard ski boots and, and go back into in the mountain and and so which which part specifically were needed to be adjusted like maybe like the connection to, to the feet because you have the like um ski shoes instead of like normal like what what are the parts that that you had to to change exactly the uh the part that is below the knee um is yeah. actually one one big big part uh, that attaches usually to the feet in that case it's attaching to the very standard standard ski boots so um uh, it's just one module that you need to swap in and out, and then the exoskeleton becomes ca capable of, uh, of of going up the the mountain again. And um, and so, I mean, in the continuity of that thinking, is there any other like um, input you're receiving where you would be thinking about additional developments that would be uh, complementing this? Mm -hmm. We see a lot of potential, and we get requests every day. Of people saying oh i have this other problem and i'd love to have an exoskeleton for that and among them one that was very inspiring to us is uh, someone who had been amputated um he had been amputated above the knee so a lot of his muscles that were moving his hip were uh weakened and yeah. he's wearing a prosthetic every day and he's wearing another one to to run and his dream was not to walk again because he could walk he could even run he's doing triathlon he's a He's an athlete, okay. but he wanted to be able to run faster. And in fact, he wanted to be able to run as fast as his uh, brother, uh, who still has his leg, his legs. And, um, and so that was kind of his, uh, his mission statement. He was like, uh, can you guys make an exoskeleton for me to be able to run faster? That would just help me uh, uh, swing my leg back and forth when I'm running. And that's kind of the extension, the next extension that we... Uh, um, we see for the exoskeleton, uh, demonstrating that the same core of components, the same set of initial modules can be combined into very different applications, uh, very different use cases, and so that we can create a better fit between the device and the patients, but also so that we can address the needs of more patients in, in, in the long term. Okay, so potentially evolving towards a platform that would enable um, amputated people to 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 benefit from it exactly um so you you mentioned before that uh, you incorporated the company um very very recently and and when we see what what your skeleton your exoskeletons enable and how they they can radically enable patients carrying out daily tasks on their own um i'd be tempted to say that this type of technology should be should be made accessible as soon as possible to to a large patient pool on a global scale um so my upcoming question is about the the intent and the vision that you have behind twice um are you aiming for um a commercialization of this uh, of this technology at some point um at which stage do you think um the company is and what are according to you the key the key challenges that must be addressed um in order to to make that happen so there's there's been a lot of work in in the past years not just about product development but also about how we can market the product. And one of the keys to that was not just to innovate on the technological aspects, but also to think about the business aspects. And in particular, the business model can allow people, it can allow more people to 
afford this technology. And so we came up with a new type of, of model that can allow us to share the cost of ownership, the cost of uh, using the device across multiple users. And so yeah. if we can distribute that cost pressure between not just one person, but a pool, a range of users, then we can, uh, we can make our technology more accessible because it's more affordable as well. And I think that was one of the keys to making this technology available for people, not just to make it, you know, available technically or not just to make it technically helping them, but yeah. also to make it more affordable. And we had to innovate also in the business, uh, business aspects. And another of the key, um, of the key steps for that was to set up a clinical trial to uh, be able to certify our product to uh, obtain yeah. the C marking. And now we're really happy to, uh, to announce that the uh, clinical trial is underway and it's going to be starting very soon and we'll finally be able to recruit more patients uh, to try our device for an extended period of time within a very controlled frame, um, but uh, with results that would be uh, then um, used for the approval of the device so that it can actually be marketed and, and, and made available for the people who need it. Can you can you tell us more about the, the 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 trial? Like how many patients are going to be involved, and uh, what are the the endpoints that you are looking at? So we're looking at twelve patients. Uh, it's a small yeah. cohort. Uh, the goal of the trial is, of course, to uh, um, demonstrate the efficacy, but also uh, the uh, safety of our product. And uh, um, the the few things you can say about the trial at this stage is the fact that we're going to try something very new, which is um, have our patients use the exoskeleton, not just in the clinic, but also at home and in community. And I think that's the first time in the world that this is actually being uh, demonstrated in an exoskeleton like this one. Okay. And this is about to start. And uh, hopefully this is going to start soon. Exactly. That's very cool. <laughs> um there are obviously also other companies um, like Sudex, which uh, got recently acquired by Autobug or Rework Robotics or Wondercraft, a company in Paris, developing exoskeletons for the rehabilitation of patients having suffered spinal cord injury, um, some focusing more on a particular limb rehabilitation after a stroke, others having more an industrial focus where the benefit is about preserving the health of workers who are involved with physically demanding tasks. Um, I was then wondering what aspects from your exoskeletons uh, that you're developing with your team differentiate them from from what is available uh, potentially elsewhere. So the I think the key aspect that we are mastering more more than anyone else, besides the modularity, which is a, a purely technological advantage, uh, but from a user standpoint, I think what's really key in our technology is the human machine interaction. And I think this is one of the strengths that our team has and uh, one of the key um, skills that a company developing exoskeletons needs to master. And this human-machine interaction translates into a better performance of the device in key daily activities. And I think we demonstrate this uh, disadvantage at the Cybathlon, um, but also yeah. at the Global Innovation Challenge, which is another, uh, another competition that is um, that is demonstrating the the performance of exoskeletons on 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 a set of tasks that is, I think, very relevant for 
uh, for uh, this type of technology. And we won the uh, the Global Innovation Challenge, demonstrating that this human-machine interaction, um, you can also call it ergonomics, but it goes beyond the simple uh, physical ergonomics. It's also about the behavior and uh, all the sensations and, and the general synergies between the user and, and the device. This human-machine interaction is really, really key to making a product that, that people will love using and that will uh, create, create an impact on their life. And what makes it difficult to um, to get rid of the the, the crutches? Uh, um, let's say beyond the fact that these are the actual remotes to the to the system, what are the the, the biggest problems that that you're facing um, when when you're trying to to address this? So a lot of people have mentioned to us like, why don't you just uh, do like Boston Dynamics and you uh, you make the robot dance, <laughs> right? And uh, I mean, fair points. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to ask that. Um, the main reason being uh, for for this to become feasible, it's very difficult to have all the weight of the user not being used for the sake of balance, but being just there as a disturbance to the system. So yeah. a robot like the ones of uh, Boston Dynamics, we're talking about Atlas, for instance, has 100% of its weight meant to help stabilizing and walking while yeah. having a user and the human inside uh, the robots makes it much more difficult for the robot to balance and to coordinate with the movements of the user and so you have to find ways to um to communicate between the user and the robot in a way that every single action that it will take will enhance the balance and not uh not and cooperate instead of just being a disturbance to one another. And the way the user will perceive the motions of the exoskeleton might be also um, triggering fear or um, lack of uh, lack of trust. And yeah. the way the, the human in, in, the, in the robot will move might also uh, induce losses of balances. And this coordination is very crucial in making a robot that makes and that is capable of balancing. That said, we have studied how humans are capable of balancing. We have studied how um, able-bodied people balance when they're standing. And we have tried to understand these strategies that they put in place to stay upright. Mm -hmm. And we have successfully em embedded those strategies inside the controller of the exoskeleton. And it's something we're about to publish. Um, but we have readily made possible the balance of exoskeleton and the user while standing in a way that is bio-inspired so that we don't rely on crutches anymore just to stand first. Okay. And I think so this is a major achievement uh, that our users are now not anymore uh, required to use the crutches when they're standing Yeah. Um, because the exoskeleton is actually reacting to the losses of balance just like another human in a yeah. way that is symbiotic and that makes sense for the user that is wearing the exoskeleton. Yeah, it may it may seem a bit um, simple to, to 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 some of the listeners, but I think it's it's quite life changing when you're you're just able to stand and have like a simple conversation with another person who hasn't suffered from from such an injury. So that's that's really really cool. Um, maybe we can move to the 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 the, the topic that you mentioned before the the cybathlon, um, which for which your 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 team and 
exoskeletons got a lot of attention over the, the past years. And so it's a competition organized by the ETH Zurich, um, where research teams and companies engaged in various fields of rehabilitation involving either exoskeletons, uh, brain-computer interfaces, or prosthetics, uh, compete in different types of races. And um, in the last edition, back in 2020, your team finished uh, second, just behind another group from, from South Korea. Um, I would recommend really anyone to check out the, the video that was made around your your pilot, uh, Silke Pan, I think she's named, who is a former um, world-class athlete, uh, gymnast, sorry, and um, where you see some part of the training that she went through uh, in preparation of the event. And um, yeah, it's very, very inspirational. Are you able to share with us um, how you're preparing um, the next edition that is planned uh, in 2024? So it's happening every four years. And what technological advancements are, are expected in comparison to um, to the exoskeleton that you presented in, in 2020? So uh, what's fantastic about these competitions is that it's really driving innovation and research forward, right? And yeah. we really want to take advantage of this opportunity to make sure that the field is evolving in a way that is going to be reflecting the needs of our patients. And so we're constantly working with the Cybathlon team to make sure that the new tasks that they're introducing in the new edition um, make sense and are relevant for actual life or real life. And so that's one of the things that we're um, undertaking now to, to work with them and make sure that the new challenges they, they, they ask us um, are pushing our research and developments in a way that is going to be meaningful and, and um, uh, relevant for, for our patients. Uh, we also have created a patient board. So it's a, a group of patients that we refer to and we ask them, we consult them every time we have an, a question, be it ethical question or a product related or yeah. even just technological questions. And we ask them what makes sense for you and your life and what do you care about? And we work with these patients to make sure that the tasks that will be um, asked us at the Cybathlon will make a, make a difference in their life. Okay, so it's really, um, let's say, need-driven by um, a consortium of, of patients who are uh, advising the, the organizing team to, to design the, the different types of races. Exactly. And, and, and then beyond that, uh, we're using this interaction uh, to make sure that the product we're developing makes sense with respect to these to these needs. And yeah. so the 2024 edition is going to focus a lot, as you said, on balance and getting rid of the crutches because because they're one of the obstacles in, in making the use of the exoskeleton seamless. And yeah. so we're working a lot on, on how we can um, use self-balancing mechanisms uh, for, for performing some of the tasks. And, and that's going to be one of the key the key um, advantages of this uh, of this new version. And um, you mentioned also another another type of competition that that you actually won. Um, is it uh, is it also the same type of of, um, of event, or is it is it for other um, other purposes? The global so, innovation um, competition. So the Global Innovation Challenge is um, another competition that is also putting forward individuals with disabilities uh, that are helped by technology perform tasks of daily living. But the main difference, I would say, with the Cybertron is that it's a bit less objective because it's not happening on 
obstacles that are standardized across all the teams. So yeah. it's not like there is a, a rule book and and every single terrain on on which every single track on which the teams are performing are exactly you know the same by the centimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, the competition is happening at the pilot's own home, so they actually have to perform activities that they would perform during daily life but yeah. in their actual environment. And so it's a lot more focusing on real life because there is no uh, idealization or standardization of, of tasks. Um, but instead, it's really happening with the, you know, the small um, obstacles of real life, like suddenly your your doorknob doesn't doesn't work or, I don't know, the the way between the, the dishwasher and the fridge is actually too narrow for the exoskeleton to go by yeah. or the table you're actually leaning against is not stable enough that you can uh, really push on it firm enough to uh, to lift your weight and so on. And these are all uh, small details of the real life that uh, highlight the the sudden change between the lab environment and yeah. and the real life. And um, maybe another question related to the, to the the feedback from the patients. So when they they go th- through the the testing phase and they get access to the, the technology that you are developing, um, for example as part of a trial or as part of the, the, the training that Silke had to go through for the Cybathlon, um, are you able to provide them the, I assume not, the, the actual um, the exoskeleton after these uh, sessions or how is this uh, perceived by them? Because I assume it's, it's quite life-changing. So at this stage, we're not, uh, unfortunately, not able to, uh, to provide them with the, the product for um, independent use the reason for yeah. that being just regulatory yeah um, because the product is not certified it's not c marked we're not able to provide it to them which is in some ways i guess a frustration typically um i'm assuming that martin one of our one of our pilots would love to be able to go uh, ski touring more often than yeah. uh, <laughs> our schedule allows it um but um uh, yeah it's it's one of the constraints today but that's also why they're working hard with us uh in helping us making sure that the technology becomes available at, at, at some point. And, and when you, you need to, to, to choose, uh, or how, how, how does the selection of the, of the pilots or the, the, the people who are with, with whom you are developing this, the, 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 the technology, how do you reach out to them? Uh, how, how does that happen? Because I, I believe there is a, there is a big demand for just, just to, to get, these, these, these technologies tested? So we receive requests from patients very often and it's very hard for us to really cope with all the, yeah. all the different requests and, and very often it's requests that are um, not necessarily standard and it's always a different uh, testimony. Um, but we always try in our approach to start from the patient's needs. So uh, these requests also really stimulate our research and development efforts. And for us, they are an opportunity um, to to have insights about needs and also are also to be stimulated and and uh, challenged in our in our research and development efforts. So it is a huge opportunity that we that we get. And whenever we see one of those requests that could um, actually help us take one step forward in the development process of our technology. Uh, we use it, and that's how we started working with Martin. That's how we started working with uh, Bruce as well. And and those people 
reached out to us and said that they have this uh, particular um, need or desire or ambition. Very often, it's also combined with the you know an inner strength and inner force that drives them into finding solutions for themselves and for other people like them. Yeah. All right. And um, so you you you. I mean, it seems from from what you were saying at the beginning that it was very clear that you wanted to work on a technology that you would push afterwards through a startup um, to to make it available on a large scale. And I don't. I don't know if all the PhD um, students have this, you know, this kind of entrepreneurial drive, or there are probably some some barriers in different in different domains. Um, what would be your advices for for PhD students out there who may be thinking about, you know, translating their their project or what they're working on towards more of a yeah towards a startup or make it evolve towards commercialization. I think there's one advice that I, I got quite a while back. Um, someone said that instead of falling with lo- in love, instead of falling in love with the technology, you should fall in love with a problem. And very often, you know, as technology developers, we, uh, we have this, uh, this hammer and we are just constantly looking for nails everywhere. And we, we have this solution, <laughs> we have this amazing technology and we're like, how can I apply it to real life? How can I make a startup out of it? And how can I make a good product and, and money out of it out of this technology that is not yet solving a problem? And I think that's that's just sad. Uh, it's yeah. the wrong way around. We should be feeling problems that are around us. And we should be then looking for solutions and technology that can solve these problems, these press, pressing issues that we see as as really, really important, instead of looking for problems that can be solved with our solutions yeah already <laughs> i can i can also make another quote of someone saying um yeah unfortunately our problems are not adapted to our solutions <laughs> i think that's uh that's um the wrong way around <laughs> i think we we, we covered a, a lot of different topics so you took us through how the, the exoskeletons that you develop work what are their the current challenges um these different competitions where you where you were able to to showcase the all the progress and the the achievements that these types of technologies enable um at the end of each episode i'm asking a couple of um let's say recurrent questions um to to the guest and the first one that i would like to ask you is about um resources that that you would recommend us to check out uh, to know more about the field in which you work or that could bring inspiration um, with regards to what you what you mentioned throughout our exchange i think inspiration is is important for for being able to create new things and i tend to have to take a lot of inspiration from uh science fiction and movies and uh it's a way to escape in a different reality and take a step back and where are we now as humanity and yeah what can we change and i think very often as technologies were tempted to create things that are either useless or a threat to humanity or uh, just uh, just a luxury that we could just avoid, right? And uh, I think science fiction and in particular uh, dystopian movies are a really good way of, um, of seeing the threats in the technology that we develop. And one of my favorite movies is... Uh, is Blade Runner, and in which I think 
you see a lot of the uh, of the pitfalls that technology like uh, human augmentation or or yeah. wearable robotics uh, or any kind of uh, um, any kind of biotechnologies can can bring about. Um, and I think we we need to keep this in mind every time, every step uh, along the way. Keep these potential pitfalls and and, and threats in mind. Um, and our job as technologists is not to prevent those from happening and be our own judge. Um, instead, our job is to make sure everyone knows about uh, these threats and these potential misuses of technology, and that the general public, other people, can judge. Uh, as citizens or as members of humanity uh, judge about the potential threats of, of technology that we develop. We should not let ourselves, let the technologies judge for themselves whether it can be misused or not. Um, there are too many examples of, of that happening, of uh, supposedly self-regulating technologies. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's, it's not the way it should be happening. Instead, we should be um, making people aware, making them... Uh, aware of the potential misuses and, and then other people should be deciding and the judges of, uh, of what we're developing. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to, to remain, to, to keep like a critical view of, of these technologies, despite the fact that they're, they potentially bring very, very positive impact on, on, on society. That's, that's completely true. Um, could you share with us, um, I'm sure you have, you have many of those, um, could you share with us an anecdote from your work, which made you realize the, the impact that you, you are having on, on patients' lives? Um, I guess one of my, one of my favorite quotes comes from Celia Kipan, one, one of our pilots. Um, after the, uh, the Sabbath launch, she told us, you know, like the work we're doing now, the improvements that we've done and the intensive training that we've done with, in, in view of the AX, uh, of the Sabbath loan. Yeah. Um, now I, I really start to feel like um, my legs are part of my body again. And uh, it comes back to this uh, feeling of embodiment. Mm -hmm. And for Silke, her body is everything. I mean, she's a circus acrobat. She's an athlete. And yeah. movement has always been um, all her life. And um, having the feeling that her legs are again part of, the, of her body, uh, I think... Um, is something that, um, yeah, that is a, a feeling that must be really important to her. Yeah. No, that's very, very inspiring. Um, the last question that I would have uh, for you, Tristan, is um, who would you suggest as a potential future guest for, for the podcast? There's uh, one entrepreneur that uh, I really look, look up to, her name is uh, Suvina Sahi, and she's the CEO and co-founder um, of Testmate Health. Um, they're revolutionizing the uh, STD diagnostic, um, in particular, uh, three major STDs, uh, sexually transmittable diseases, that are really, really important for women fertility. And I think uh, she's really making groundbreaking work in, in, in this uh, diagnostic uh, technology. Savina is a, is a brilliant mind. She's a medical doctor by training and yeah. she's settled to, um, uh, to change the way, um, STDs are diagnosed for, for women in general. And, uh, I think this, uh, this work should, uh, should deserve, um, uh, deserve highlights. 
All right, then potentially she will be she will be featured in a in a future episode. Um, thank you, thank you so much, Tristan, for for your time and and all the sharing. I think it was very very inspiring. Um, I was I was also very happy to to that we got to exchange on that topic because I got to see the, the exoskeleton when I was uh, back when I was studying in Lausanne, and I really found that fascinating. So very very happy that you that you could share. Thank you so much, Matthew, for having me on on the show and. Uh... Uh, thank you for this opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions, or suggest potential guests. Thanks, and see you in the next one.